What is good, everybody? Welcome to Under Review with Stats and Vish on the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am half of your host for today, Rob Stats Guerrero. Vish is going to join us in just a second. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We appreciate your support. We crushed our download record from 2021. We more than doubled it in 2022. That is thanks to you, and we do appreciate it. We always say, if you take the time to leave a review, we will read it on the show. So let's read this one from John3801. Five stars. Thank you very much. Subject podcast has grown. I used to be lukewarm towards Niners Nation. I'm a glass half full guy, but also try to be a critical thinker. There were times I felt Rob was the poster child for glass half empty. This past season, I've turned around and find this podcast really great. Rob has added new podcasts with new people and new perspectives. It is not just the same two people every podcast. This variety gives me different perspectives, which I truly appreciate. Keep up the good work. Thank you, John3801. And you're right. We have added some new people. And one of the people I am happy that we have added is the great Vish Kumar. And what's up, Vish? What is up, Rob? You said you were reading out those comments. I came right in there as you were reading out. I see the shirt. I see the shirt. Look at you, Rob. This is the happiest yeah. I think I've seen you. How can you not be happy? 11 straight wins. We are dicing people up. How could I not be happy, Vish? I mean, yeah, when you put it like that, there's a lot to be happy about today in 49ers land. Um, you're right. It's it's not just the victories. They are blowing these teams out. They are, I mean, that Seattle game was close. I actually appreciate the first half being close for what happened in that second half, if that makes sense. Hold on. We got to get to something right away. Diego, who's always a huge supporter of the stream. Serious question. Do you still say Victory Monday if the game was on a Saturday? My Victory Monday shirt is resting today because of that. No, Diego, no. Of course it's a Victory Monday. 11 straight times. You wear the Victory Monday shirt on Monday. Come on, man. Don't mess with the streak. Got to get it on. And by the way, shout out to Homage. Thank you for the Victory Monday shirt. If you want your own, just click on the link in the description of the show. There'll be a link in the podcast description as well. They have awesome 49er stuff. They have other stuff too, like pop culture t-shirts and stuff. So if Niners, you know, you've got enough Niner gear or whatever, go check out the site anyway. They have great stuff. Vish, you're not wearing your Homage shirt today. What's up with that? No, I, I, I decided I hadn't worn it really for any of our Victory Mondays besides the one game on Monday night. That was a victory Monday. You and I did the instant reaction. Yes. Um. So I, I didn't want to mess with the streak, mess with the superstitions, okay. mess with the juju. All right. I know that you haven't washed your victory Monday shirt in about 11 weeks. It's a little dicey. That's a little right. A little dicey. Right. All right. You got You just got to last maybe five, five more weeks, I think. No, three more, right? Divisional championship, Super Bowl. Well, you're not going to four, four. Not I'm not going to wear it the, the Pro Bowl week. You know? Right, right, right. But the shirt's not going to be washed. You're not going to wash the luck off of it right before no. the Super Bowl, are you? No you way. Can't. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Never. Rookie move. All right. I just want to, there's so much I want to get to about this game, but I just think like we have to take a bigger picture view for one second. Since Brock Purdy became the 49ers starting quarterback, they have put up 35 points a game. So yeah. if you're going to beat this 49er team, you got to score five touchdowns against this defense. There's only been one team to score at least five touchdowns against the 49ers all year, and it was Kansas City, and that's it. So good luck to anybody in the end. I don't care if it's the Bucs. I don't care if it's the Cowboys. Good luck. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that, and that's kind of been the underrated point. I think because of the 49ers, the defense is always consistent. The defense always plays well. And we know that, you know, they're at the end of the day, a team that's driven by their defense. And then the quarterback conversation is always the prevailing, you know, narrative. It's the prevailing thing that's always there. And amidst all of that, because we had the three quarterbacks play all and the defense was nearly historic this um, season and all of that we we didn't notice that during this win streak this offense quietly turned into a juggernaut yes and it turned into a juggernaut even with Debo Samuel banged up for some of it Christian McCaffrey was dealing with some injuries at the beginning part of this run um George Kittle was recovering from injury as this run kind of started Ayuk was really the one guy that was consistently healthy um throughout it and even then this offense turned into a juggernaut it's turned into a machine it's turned into a top five 
offense to pair with a top five defense and a pretty good special teams. And yeah, you're absolutely right. To beat the Niners now, it's not just that, you know, you have to find a way to score 20 points on their defense. You have to, you know, go head to head with their offense. And their offense is not only clinical, they not only run the ball and manage the clock and all of that, they're also explosive and they score quickly and they they score on you in a hurry, right? We saw the second half versus Washington. We saw the first drives against Tampa Bay, that first half, what they did. We saw what they did last, uh, last or two days ago, not even last week, two days ago against Seattle in the second half. Once they get rolling, once the, you know, once the quote unquote like dam breaks, the waterfall just, it just goes through and oh my God, this offense just puts on a show. They scored three offensive touchdowns in 10 plays against the Seahawks right. on Saturday. Right. That's like, there would go whole games where they wouldn't score three offensive touchdowns, but you're right. It has evolved now. It is a different offense. And obviously that's due to Christian McCaffrey and it's due to Brock Purdy. And we can get into Brock a little bit in the first half. He was not the same Brock nine of 19, 147 yards. Now he had two touchdowns. So that obviously is good. But we saw him miss throws. The first throw of the game he missed, uncharacteristic. He did not look like himself. However, second half of the game, 9 of 11, 185 yards, two more touchdowns, and should have had a third touchdown because he makes an unbelievable play to hit Brandon Ayuk in the back corner. And Ayuk just dropped it a little bit. So he should have had three touchdowns in the second half of that game. I don't know. I mean, he told, he said that Kyle told him like, look, dude, the plays are there for you. And he kind of just settled in. So maybe it was nerves, but it was, he was two distinctly different quarterbacks. He was playing like Jimmy Garoppolo in the first half. And in the second half, he got back to playing like himself. Yeah. I mean, he was playing like Jimmy Garoppolo besides the one thing. And this is the one credit I'll give him. And Kyle Shanahan gave him the same credit after the game is that even when he was going through his period where he was not himself, his accuracy wasn't exactly there. Um, his pocket management was mostly awful in the first half. Um, and you had him going through where it was nerves. You could see he was amped up. First throw of the game, I mean, Juwan Jennings is there. It's a big completion, and yep. he just overshoots it because he's just amped up, ready to go. It's, he's a rookie. You get nerves. It makes sense. But with all of that, he did not give the game away in the first half by turning the football over. And we saw for Seattle, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? It was Geno Smith fumbling um, in the red zone. That play ultimately ended the game. Because the moment Geno Smith fumbled, the Niners defense got their mojo. Niners offense went on a drive. Brock Purdy off schedule. Elijah Mitchell touchdown. Quick three and out. Punt. Screen to Debo. Get two yards. Then second and eight play action. Debo goes 70. Next thing you know, the game is over. That was the three drive sequence that ended the game. And, and the reason... That happened. The turning point in this game was a Geno Smith turnover. And now Geno Smith is playing with a less margin for error than Brock Purdy, right? I think a lot of people would have, a lot of us would have felt that the talent discrepancy is so large that even if Brock did turn the football over, the Niners would have had a good chance to win. But he didn't. And that's really important. And in the first half, right, it was uncharacteristic. Not only was he missing throws with his accuracy, he was managing the pocket poorly. If there's one thing you and I have talked about, consistently on this show from his first start if there's one concern he doesn't get up into the pocket it might be a size thing but he always tries to escape out the backside. um and he trends to drift away and try and create an off schedule um drifting out the backside of the pocket but it also leads to negative gains and it leads to him sometimes missing available plays that are there if he just steps up in the pocket on time and on rhythm well that's what he did in the second half he got away from drifting in the pocket he moved up he stood still the protection was outstanding from the majority of the game. Yep. But you understand that his nerves could be a part of it. And the the nice thing was that he didn't turn the football over and give the game away while his nerves were affecting the game. And that's been one of the biggest differences, especially in the playoffs. You win the turnover battle. This Niners team, they're going to win. Like they are going yeah. Yeah. to win. There's just too much for you to have to cover as a defense. Now I'm going to, Take a little bit of a risk here because I didn't verify this myself, but I did see this on Twitter. Brock Purdy, more attempts 20 yards down the field against Seattle than Jimmy G in six career playoff games. I don't know if that's true. It feels true. Sometimes in 2023, sometimes yeah. that's all it takes for something to become true. But uh, 
look, Brock was even in in the first half, some of his misses were him just chucking the ball down the field. Right. I think what I noticed watching the game a second time, if you go back, what do we complain about with Jimmy Garoppolo or especially earlier this year, right? On the TV copy, you watch the game and you count before the snap, how many defenders are in the screen with Jimmy G it was like nine or 10 or sometimes all 11. Well, Seattle was loading up to stop the run. They had 10 guys in the box a lot of the time, and we have been screaming and waiting for a quarterback that can make a defense pay for playing defense that way, and Brock has so far, and he definitely did on Saturday. And I think his aggression, to me, is another example of the nuance when we talk about when we talk about quarterbacks, right? We We always equate strong arm means he pushes the ball down the field. Weak arm means he doesn't push the ball down the field. No, it's more of a mindset thing. Now, arm strength does give you a massive advantage, right? If I have a strong, if you have a strong arm quarterback, he can afford to be late. He can sometimes push the ball down the field without his feet being right. He can maybe throw it into a tighter window or on a line or make a throw that, you know, Brock Purdy physically cannot make. But when you're playing in this offense, when people consistently get open, and the offense consistently sets things up on time and on rhythm, really you just have to be able to see it and willing to cut it loose when you see it. Because most quarterbacks, even Brock Purdy, whose arm I would say is nearly as good as Jimmy Garoppolo's, objectively I would say maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is a little more gifted all-around thrower than him. But it's not like his arm is like Matt Barkley or Jake Fromm or something that's like not by NFL standards, right? Like it's – in the it's in the below average when it comes to starting quarterback arm strength, but it's enough to make every throw is what I'm trying to say. He's tall enough to ride the bumper cars. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. And even with that in this offense, when things get open, we see that he's able to see things and he cuts it loose and he's aggressive on time and on schedule. And if you're able to do that, sure, he might not have the arm strength to throw it late, but when you throw it on time and on schedule, he has the arm to get it there. I mean, even the, play that he missed Debo and everybody said he missed Debo. I saw the play on film. I'm sure a lot of people saw it because it's been all over Twitter right there. He, it, it was, he put the ball on the money. Ayuk, it was, it was there to throw the post to Ayuk. It was, a, he was aggressive. He cut it loose early. Ayuk stopped on the route. And so that just tells you why he's able to throw the ball down the field. It's not something he's doing physically compared to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's a mindset. And the one thing that's clear to me that was maybe a little bit unclear in the first half against Seattle because he did miss a few underneath um, defenders when they would rotate down from too high to one high and have like a robber defender in the middle of the field. He did miss him a few times in the first half. But besides missing him a couple times in the first half, the one thing that's been clear to me in seven games, uh, Brock Purdy, and I don't want to come, I, I hate doing this, but I always do this every show. And then I say sorry for doing it. This time I'm not going to say sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to compare him to Jimmy Garoppolo. He sees the field better. Oh yeah. And that's, that's the big difference to me. It's not a physical difference. He just sees the game and feels the game more instinctively better. And then the other thing I want to highlight, right? The first thing I wanted to highlight with him was that he didn't turn the football over when he went through his lull and then he found his rhythm and he was bang, 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 touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. But the other thing I want to highlight is we've talked about how he seems to have the instincts to make plays off schedule, right? It's not, Anything about him physically, though he has great quickness, is he has an instinct, a creativity, and an ability to do it. The one thing he also has when he gets outside of the pocket is knowing when the play is dead and not giving it away. Sometimes he can extend it for two, three, four seconds and realize, crap, I can't take this sack. Let me just chuck the ball out of bounds. And he's thrown the ball away more, I would say, than any 49ers quarterback has ever and that's <laughs> Garoppolo, Bethard, Mullins, Hoyer, you name it, Lance, none of them really threw the ball away. He's thrown the ball away consistently. And that's such a good thing to have that even though he's making these plays off schedule, he's not being reckless. He has great instinct for when the play is available and when he can do something. And when nothing is there, let me throw it away and live to see another down. And we saw that I I want to say it was the play before that IU can completion, but it was in the red zone. He drops back to pass, and he's got pressure right in his face right away, and he just did that underhand right, like, right. toss forward. And it looked weird, but it was an incomplete pass. Like, he recognized that it was dead. It just it wasn't going to happen on that play. Right, right. And he got rid of the ball, didn't take a hit, and they went to the next down. Like It sounds so simple, but yeah, even when he does extend the play, he did make me nervous a couple of times when I was sitting there going, yeah. throw it away, but he did. 
he did throw it away. And like that, especially with this offense where you feel like they just can't be stopped, not getting behind the chains and, and not hurting yourself with a turnover it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I think this is actually a dangerous game for other teams and other people for him to have, right? It's so you and I have had the opportunity because we do this every Monday and we are fans of the Niners. We watch him every week. So we know that on the Brock Purdy scale, right? While he was great yesterday for his first playoff start, it was not as impressive as maybe the Miami game or the Washington game or even the Tampa Bay game, right? It was those games I would say were a little bit better than how he played yesterday. On the national scale, people were looking at it and like not seeing what the hype is with the Brock Purdy. The cool thing to me is when you go back and show him this game, you can go and show him, hey, you missed this, you missed this, you need to settle down here. Yep. But you can say even when you didn't play your best, you played so well and we are so good that you did all of this. Like it's a great, I think, confidence builder for him to know like, man, it was my first playoff game and I dealt with the nerves and dealt with all the things that a rookie quarterback and a first time starter deals with in the playoffs. And we were still able to do this. Just wait till I get more comfortable and I play even better in the next game in the forthcoming game, because I think he will play better. That just seems he just seems like that kind of guy to me. That's why I believe he'll play better. And when you're able to show him this, like you have to be scared of the confidence that this might build with him. It's the most passing yards in a playoff game by any 49ers quarterback, not named Joe Montana. Like think about that. The 49ers have had some great playoff performances by a quarterback and Brock is better than all of them, except for Joe Montana. That's what I said in the instant reaction show. Like we are at the point now where this offense can struggle in, a, in an entire half of football and still put up 41 points. And that's without a defensive touchdown. Yeah. Like th- we would go entire halves where this offense would score seven points. They'd be in the third quarter and have 10 points, 13 points. It has completely evolved now. And that's what I yeah. said. Like in order to beat this team, you got to put up 35 points on that defense. Good luck. And I think Christian McCaffrey has taken it to another level. I agree with that, right? That's that's one big difference from last year. But to me, Purdy has also, his aggressive mindset, right? Um, he, He's got a Ferrari. He's been gifted the keys of the Ferrari. But he's not just driving the Ferrari. He's racing the Ferrari. He's looking aggressive, bringing out the best of this offense. And I just love Kyle Shanahan just having the trust and faith that he seems to have in Brock Purdy. He, he feel, it felt like even yesterday, it felt like instead of settling him down by just running the ball, he settled him down by, you know, calling a couple screens, letting him get a couple completions, and then he was back to being Purdy, which culminated in his confidence growing to the point that, you know, the last real throw of the game he had, he rolls out left on a bootleg, nothing's there. He crosses field comes all the way back right. I thought the best part of this play, the throw was obviously phenomenal, was the awareness to kind of pump fake and slip underneath the big guy to his right and then rip it while taking a hit and putting it right on the 1-1 for Ayuk. Uh, He's got to come down with that. Too bad he didn't. But, like, to get his confidence to be there from where the game started is, like, unbelievable, is really good from Shanahan. It also shows growth from Shanahan usually tries to win the game without really using his quarterback as little as possible and putting him in as little like situations where he has to throw as possible. In this case, he was just like, yep, let's go sling it and let's go run up the score on them. Clawn82 watching on my Twitch page. Follow me there at Stats on Fire said second string D in the fourth quarter is never a bad sign. I want to get to that, but I will point out because I think that people like we, what would we say about Kyle? Like you said, right? Take the ball out of his hands when things get dicey. They had a 13-play, 75-yard drive to begin the second half of the game. Two throws. I think it was three. Two or three throws the whole game. Now, the difference is one of the throws throws were down the field, right? Right. One One went to Kittle for 23 yards. One went to Debo for 21 yards. Was it two or three? Maybe it was. I think that – but that was a big third. Wasn't the throw to Debo a third down? Third and seven. Yep, that was a yeah, that was a crosser that he led in front of him. It was a big throw at that point in the game to convert it. That was a massive conversion on third. That down was when they them. pulled yeah. Debo's leg. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. So he kind of did take the ball out of his hands in that drive. Is my point. Now on third down, he had to make some big throws, and he did. But to take the lead, 
Kyle did kind of go back to his old way there, but then he immediately stepped on the gas. And I agree with what you said. Brock was given a Ferrari. Jimmy Garoppolo just tried not to crash it. And Brock wants to see how fast it could go zero to 60. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so cool because I thought we got a glimpse into another dimension, right? Like there's still a level to this offense we haven't seen because Debo Samuel was is only six weeks removed from his body being bent on top of his leg like a pretzel, right? He's still <laughs> kind of finding his way back in. And we saw yesterday that, and I think, and I, I make, made this point on my post-game stream as well, and it's important to note, like, I think the one thing that's always been clear to me about this offense when he's been healthy is that it ran through Debo. And then this was the first year I had like my concerns. Does it still run through Debo? Cause he was banged up early in the year. And then Christian McCaffrey came in and everything went through McCaffrey. Yesterday kind of um, brought me some clarity. This offense runs through Debo and McCaffrey first. Everything is built around the versatility of those two players, the explosion, the explosiveness of both those yes. players, the physicality of both those players. And it's awesome. Cause Kittle and Ayuk are so good. And they're kind of outside weapons. And the bread and butter of this offense is Debo and Christian McCaffrey. It's such a nice problem to have. And it's so cool to see, you know, how well he's playing so quickly. Because I thought that week 18 game, I was like, man, Debo looks like a little bit rusty. It might take a couple weeks in the playoffs for him to get his feet under him. And I thought he started off the game rusty. And then it felt like, all right, the competitive juice is flowing. And, you know, Debo's a special competitor. He always plays big in big games. He did as a rookie in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. And then he played very well in the playoffs last year. Some might say he backpacked the 49ers. I would te- I would definitely say that on <laughs> offense. And now it's cool to see because Ayuk has made such strides this year and he's so good. McCaffrey is so good. Kittle is balling. And now you have Debo looking like last year Debo, but he doesn't have to carry the offense anymore. Nine touches, 163 yards and a touchdown for Debo. Christian McCaffrey, 136 total yards, seven straight games with a touchdown. I agree the offense goes through those people, but when they need a big play, I feel like, and it's man coverage, they go Ayuk. I feel like that's the situation with the Niners. I feel like they go Juwan Jennings a lot. Well, that's true. That's true. They do go to Juwan. But if it's man coverage, like I feel like they know Ayuk is better than Debo in that against that generally it's Ayuk. Or they'll use McCaffrey. Yeah. Zone coverage, I mean, Diva. Yeah. Right. I mean, they 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 could really use all of them in different ways. And one thing I want to point out, and it really stemmed from a conversation I was having with my dad after the game. So I was watching a playoff game with him. And he goes, the one cool thing about this team and these weapons, it seems, that they seem to be so unselfish. And they seem to be so okay when their teammate is the one getting the ball and it's not them. And it doesn't seem to affect, you know, first of all, their um, like kind of total morale, right? They're still out there competing and blocking, right? I kind of got phased out of this game in the second half. It became all Debo, all McCaffrey, and there he was blocking his butt off on the Debo touchdown as he's yep. blocked all year. Kittle also, always. And I was thinking about it, and to me, actually, like obviously that is a credit to the culture. Shanahan has built the fact that he – his players have such confidence that he will reward them for doing the dirty work by getting them the ball. But I also think the kind of epitome of why this culture exists and the credit goes to Kittle's leadership as well, right? He made first team all pro and broke the tight end single season receiving record in his second year in the league. And since then his targets have depreciated thanks to, you know, growth of other players on the offense He's been put in situations where he's been asked to block because maybe the offensive line has had some injuries and hasn't been playing well, and they've needed to rely on him as a blocker. And he never pouts. He never asks for the ball. He just goes out there and blocks his butt off. And when he does that after he achieved all of that earlier in his career, I think it causes everybody else to kind of fall in line because how can you throw a fit about getting the ball when George Kittle isn't? And and so, like, obviously it's credit to Shanahan and Lynch. They've drafted some – people who seem to have the right mindset when it comes to all of these things. And they have instilled the right culture of fairness for these people to feel this way. But I also think Kittle's leadership plays a huge part in that because he was kind of the first of these guys to set his ego aside and set that example. One or two things I want to say in response to that. Peter King had a good note in there that Ayuk 
was blocking on that Debo play for almost six seconds, according to his watch. He timed it, which is insane. But uh, Joe Staley told us this on Thursday before the game. And if you missed that interview, you should definitely go and check it out. Uh, It's on the YouTube page. Download the podcast. Joe was awesome. And it looks like he's going to hopefully be able to join us again this week. Joe had a really, yes. Joe had a really good point in the interview. He said, Kyle has also created that kind of culture because on Victory Monday, the day after the game, whenever it might be, he shows those plays to the team. He points out, look at Ayuk blocking on this play. Look at Kittle blocking on this play. Look at this. Look at that. He What that does is it tells everybody, whether you're the backup tight end, you're the starting wide receiver, whatever, that that effort is going to be noticed and going to be rewarded right, and pointed right. out. And on the flip side, if you don't do that, he's going to call you out for it. So he's created a culture of a positive culture of rewarding people, but also a culture of accountability where the expectation is that you are all, every one of you going to do this. And we saw with Ayuk, you don't do it. You don't see the ball. We will ghost you in this offense. And that shows up this time of year. And uh, when everybody does that, you can dominate the way the 49ers do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really interesting because obviously, yeah, it, it, yeah, uh, if you don't block here in Shanahan's doghouse. And another block that I thought went unnoticed, um, the big play they had to Juwan Jennings, right? Great schemed up play, overload and run two verticals, two seams down the left side. Oh, the one that Fox didn't show because they were in commercial for me? Yeah, thanks, Fox. Oh, I I saw the play. I don't know. Yeah, they cut back to it, and Jennings was like on the ground after the play. I was like, what the hell? So first things first, right? That was a rough throw from Purdy. Throw that ball on the sideline. He walks in for a touchdown. Okay, he's throwing the ball 30 yards down the field. It was a little bit inaccurate. Hell of a job by Jennings keeping his concentration because Quandre Diggs was that was that play was 50-50. It was just touch and go right there. And Jennings was able to hold on as Diggs came over the top. It was bang bang right there. But um on that play, they actually have Debo motion in. He ends up having to block Uchenna Nawosu in line on the back side, or actually it's the front side, right? It's Purdy's front side. And I don't know if he does a good job blocking Uchenna Nwosu technically, but he does enough <laughs> to bother Uchenna Nwosu because it is a longer developing play and he's one-on-one in that situation. And he does a fine enough job to give enough time for Purdy to step up in the pocket and throw the ball to Jenny. So just another example of a star player willing to do the dirty work on this football team. What do they say? Sometimes the expression is die a slow death, right? You don't have to have the best blocking on a guy, but if you could just delay him enough, you can do that to make the play. Uh, Yeah, the offense is phenomenal. It's the third most yards that the 49ers have ever had in a playoff game. And again, we're talking about the 49ers here, right? This isn't the Jaguars. I know they won this weekend, but they don't exactly have a deep, rich playoff history, okay? We're talking about the 49ers. A team with five Super Bowl trophies that has gone to, what is it, seven Super Bowls? They know how to win in the playoffs. And yet, Saturday was the third best offensive output in terms of yards that we've ever seen. That's where this offense is right now. And you can say, you know, you don't have faith in Brock or whatever, but, like, this he hasn't even had 10 starts yet. This is like a Colin Kaepernick-esque kind of run, except the offense is better than it was under Kaepernick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that offense was stacked. Um, Greg Roman is a creative run game coordinator. He's no Kyle Shanahan, though, in the run and pass game. And then I think that offense offense was stacked, but the weapons, I I think the weapons here are far, far and away better. That offense is top heavy. Christian McCaffrey's better than Gore. Gore's was good, but McCaffrey offers more than Gore. I'd I'd take Ayuk Debo Jennings over... Crab Whatever tree, it was, Bolden. Crabtree. No, Bolden wasn't there. It was Crabtree. Then oh, Manningham Harbaugh, got injured. Right, yeah. It was Crabtree. I think it was Kyle Williams, Crabtree. Moss. Moss, yeah. This offense is Joe better. Hastings. Yeah, Kittle is better than Vernon Davis. Davis. Vernon Davis, Delaney Walker, but Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk. I, I think this offense. And then Kyle. Yeah, and then I think this offensive line is as good, too. That's That's the scary part, right? Nobody wants to talk about it, but Mike McGlinchey continuing to play well. Trent Williams is doing what Trent Williams does. Aaron Banks played well for a guy coming off of a knee injury, yep. and then Brendel has kind of steadied the ship. 
I, I said before the season, I thought he could play well as well as Ben Garland did in the second half of 2019. <laughs> well, he's played a little bit better than Ben Garland played in the he's second Kobo half of 2019. Alternate. Right. And Burford and Burford and, uh, excuse me, Burford and Brunskill. Too many B names. And Banks, <laughs> Brendel, Brunskill, Burford. But um, Burford and Brunskill are also both being serviceable and manageable. And they both continue to play pretty well. This offensive line, even yesterday, I thought some of the pressure that was getting to Brock Purdy was a result of his poor pocket management rather than offensive line really playing poorly. And we saw in the second half when he settled down and just started sitting in the pocket and picking things apart and only escaping when he needed to, um, we saw how good the protection was. And he he throws strikes when he's in clean pocket, sets his feet. He does well, you strikes. should. Yeah. You should throw strikes, and that's what was so frustrating is that we felt like we we didn't always make the plays that you should make, and now it seems like the 49ers are. I want to get to the defense, but before we do, there are so many people in the comments talking about this that I feel like we have to mention it now. Okay. And I got to get something off my chest. And the question is, who would you rather play in the divisional round? The Niners will get the winner of Cowboys and Buccaneers tonight on Monday Night Football. And I just got to say this, Fish. I don't care i am past the point of caring i am not worried about who the 49ers have to play in the divisional round everybody else should be worried about playing the 49ers in the divisional round bring it on dak prescott that offense michael parsons great last time we saw you we chewed you up and spit you out on your own field in the playoffs tom brady and the buccaneers oh look out the buccaneers got their starting center back who cares we destroyed you the last time we saw you i Don't care who the 49ers have to play in the divisional round because guess what? (laughs) We're going to kick your ass. It's hilarious to me that you say that because you asked me what topics we should do maybe like 20 minutes before our show and I texted you and this was one of them. And I texted you the topic because I was planning to say the same exact thing. I was planning to say, look, I think the Niners are going to stomp on whether they play Dallas or whether they play Tampa at home. It's just a bad matchup for both teams. The only team in the NFC that can compete with the 49ers is Philadelphia. And I think Philadelphia, look, the Giants feel like a team of destiny. They're playing great. I'm sure Wink Martindale is going to have a great game plan for this Saturday when they do play Philadelphia. But ultimately, the talent discrepancy is too large between them and Philadelphia. And I think Philadelphia's talent will end up overwhelming them. And I think that's where it's going to be nice to watch the Niners play Philadelphia because I don't know if they're equally talented to the Niners. The Niners probably have more top-end star-level players. Yep. But Philadelphia has a top-to-bottom elite roster as well. And so that's the one team I would say in the NFC that we can start talking about matchup. And we can start talking about, oh, this if this happens, this is how the ball game could turn out. Philadelphia could win if these things happen. I am not here to entertain either of those conversations with Dallas or Tampa Bay. No disrespect to those two teams, but this year, the way the NFL has played out, there's a just little massive disrespect. levels. A little there's disrespect just to those to two it. teams. A little disrespect? Fine. Okay, a little disrespect. Uh, Steven, watching on YouTube, play the team that is least likely to score over the top and the less physical defense. Let's get into that a little bit. I saw another comment here that I want to get to, and this one comes from Spider-Man, which, you know, I think that's pretty impressive. I don't know if it's Peter Parker or Miles Morales, but either way, any concern with our secondary going forward? Charvarius Ward didn't look as strong, and Lenore was surprisingly solid. What's contributing to our decline in our defense? Maybe I'm nitpicking as a Niner fan. Thank you for the super chat, Spider-Man. For a guy that normally doesn't have a lot of money, we appreciate you uh, donating here. Lenore was really good yesterday. 28 coverage snaps, two catches allowed, just 16 yards. He also had a pick. And the passer rating when he was targeted was 20.8. So Lenore bounced back in a big way, which was cool yeah. to see because he was liking everybody's tweets, ripping him. So clearly he was motivated and he showed out on Saturday. Yeah. And the one catch he did give up to DK Metcalf, third down slant. He gets beat inside, but it was really tight coverage. And he tried to get around Metcalf and get a hand on the ball and get his hand in between Metcalf and Gino in the ball. And and the ball was thrown very well, very accurately. And Metcalf was able to kind of shield him off a little bit with his big body. But, yeah, he played his butt off um, yesterday. Also tackling, he did a really good job replacing mm-hmm. against the run, which I said was, to me, the bigger worry when he struggled against Vegas rather than the coverage. And I thought – I watched a lot of the game on mute. Unfortunately, they screwed us by putting Daryl Johnston on the commentary. <laughs> like, 
come on, man. I'm trying to enjoy the Niners playoff game. Why are you doing this to me? But once the Niners got a pretty big lead, I, I turned up the volume a little bit. And Daryl Johnston had a very nice quote, actually. So credit to Daryl there. Um, he said that D'Amico Ryans told D'Amador Lenore that teams are going to yes. come after you. And I thought that was a great quote, right? He said teams, he said D'Amico Ryan said that teams are going to come after you just because of the way you know, our secondary is. And that was my point too. Like this isn't a Diamador Lenore problem. When you have both the wards and, you know, Fred Warner in the middle of this defense, they're going to go after somebody. And that somebody happens to going to be Diamador Lenore. And he said that, but this isn't a bad thing for you. This isn't like, Hey, you're the worst player in the secondary. This means you're going to be the guy in the secondary that gets opportunities to make plays on the ball. And boy, did he take advantage. He got the interception of Geno Smith that he deserved the week you know, the Thursday night game when he had the pick six and it was taken away thanks to roughing the passer, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and so because of that, um, I thought that was a fantastic quote. And then Lenore playing well, I thought was really good to see. Going back to that quote with Ward, I mean, DK Metcalf is a very good player. He's I know a lot of people don't like DK Metcalf. I know we're not allowed to compliment Seahawks, but he is a freak <laughs> He's a really good wide receiver. He gives a lot of corners trouble. I thought the big thing Seattle did early in this game, and Dre Greenlaw said after the game, they changed their run game a little bit. And they did, and they made their run game very horizontal. And their running back is really, really good. And he turned a lot of two- or three-yard gains into five- or six-yard gains, which their game plan was to try and get to third and short and reticulate the ball slowly up the field. And then get the one-shot play when you get one-on-one, right? Third and three, Niners finally blitzed because they were unable to force the issue with their defensive line because the Seahawks were running the ball in quick game the entire game to avoid the drop-back pass, right? The one drop-back pass situation they had in the first half, third and eight, they ran a draw play for no gain with Kenneth Walker. So you could see what their plan was clearly. Thanks for that, by the way. (laughs) Right. And so – Right, right. And then so like the one, so they finally get it third and three, they finally forced the Niners hand and they brought pressure. They brought two, I think, Dre Greenlaw, they brought from the backside, which left one on one to the far hash with Ward and Metcalf and press one on one. Gino threw a great ball. It's Metcalf is huge. He's really (laughs) fast. He's a tough guy to stay with. Like when you're stuck playing in an island and Ward hasn't been having to do that as much this year because the Niners don't play primarily man coverage you're going to give up plays too, even if you're the best corner in the NFL. Unless you're Revis or Deion Sanders, really Revis in my lifetime, if you have to play man coverage all the time, you're going to give up one or two plays. And they had him play man, and he played a little bit softer zone yesterday, and he got beat a couple times. It happens. He's going to get beat a couple more times in this playoffs too because the Niners are likely going to go up against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith in the next round, who are both very good. And then the Super Bowl is going to probably include you know, either Jamar Chase and T Higgins, and we know what Jamar Chase did to him last year, um, or it's going to include Patrick Mahomes. So he's going to give up plays. It's going to happen. I'm not concerned about him at all. He's a terrific corner. And even in this game, I thought something that was really cool about his mindset is corners have to have short memory, right? It's easier said than done. We saw it with the Kella Witherspoon. One negative play could spiral the entire football game where you could see he's in his head and it's affecting his psyche and mindset. Mooney Ward gave up a few plays early in this game, and then he came back and had a big-time pass breakup later in this game um, in the – in I think – was it in the end zone? It was down the field. Literally the play before the fumble, Ward breaks up a potential touchdown against yeah, DK Metcalf. The there we go. And right so before. Like, exactly. And so that's a great example of his mindset, right? It doesn't affect him. He's going to give up plays. He's a number one corner. He's going up against top-notch receivers. Um, I, I, I'm not really concerned about him. Glass city watching on YouTube. Thank you very much. I'm not worried about our D and Traverius Ward. Both have been consistent all season. Ward shut down DK the last two times. If you look at the game stats, the defense played well, considering the situation, our D is solid. Here's the other point I want to make. And I was making it to Michelle Majuk on Friday. Okay. The Niners have had games where receivers have gone off Devontae Adams. Cooper Cup has had multiple huge games against the 49ers and they still blow teams out, not just win, blow teams out. They, yes, receivers can do some damage against them, but it doesn't seem to affect the overall, you know, flow of the game. The Niners can still whoop you, even if you've got one good receiver that can go off. So whether it's CeeDee Lamb or Mike Evans 
or whoever is left in the playoffs, if it's going to be somebody in the AFC, if the Niners get that far, Diggs or whoever, just right. because you've got a receiver that plays really well and has a good game, I'm not worried about it because we've seen that before and it hasn't mattered. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, look, DK Metcalf yesterday, he didn't make big plays, right? The The big thing is you don't want to give up the big play. But if DK Metcalf caught eight balls for 100 yards, like, yeah, DK Metcalf caught eight balls for 100 yards. Like, you gave up eight balls for 100 yards, but I, I would look at it as mostly inconsequential. If he's catching a bunch of hitches, a bunch of stop routes where they're just they're bailing out and they're keeping things in front of him and they're giving him these catches and coming up and making the tackles like you're going to offenses are going to move the ball. Really, to me, the game always comes down to big plays and turnovers. And for the most part, the Niners defense completely eliminates big plays, though they've given up a few this year. We've talked about that before. And the Niners offense gets a lot of big plays. And then we're seeing they're they're crushing it in the turnover battle this year. This is not something they usually do with Kyle Shanahan, but they're creating turnovers and they're not turning it over. Stan watching on YouTube, the defensive talent still has big playmakers. They may not be as dominant overall right now, but someone makes a play eventually. And that's exactly right. right. Every right. time this defense has their back against the wall, they rise up and they make a play. We just mentioned that sequence. I feel like that ward play is not getting enough love. I'm actually going to post a little film breakdown of that on Twitter later, right before the fumble recovery. But the fumble recovery happens because Bosa gets like immediate pressure because that's what Nick Bosa do. And Geno Smith steps up. A man who brushes past him. And afterwards, he said he reached out and he felt the ball. And he knew he wasn't going to be able to sack Geno. But once he felt the ball, he said he ripped. And the other part of the play that I like is Ebukam, because he's hitting Geno from behind. Right. Geno Smith is the only Seahawks player that realized he fumbled the ball on the play. And right, Ebukam right. has him from behind, and he hugs him, and he stops him from reaching out, and he stops him from going forward to get the ball. And then Bosa turns around, which credit to Bosa, because sometimes we've seen him celebrate a little too early and miss that. He turned around, dove right on the ball. Another game-changing play for you, Emmanuel Acho. But you're right, Stan. Right. The Niners' defense eventually will make a play. Right. And that was that was really the play they needed. They needed one play like that. And I actually, Rob, it's funny. I, last week you were not hearing it. But when I said, I think Seattle's the second toughest matchup yeah. for the 49ers in the NFC. And in terms of offense, I still think that those weapons, their line is pretty good. I thought their line played the best. It's played against the Niners, actually. If you're Seattle, from a Seattle standpoint, yesterday is promising, right? You have, you're have you starting so many young offensive linemen, those two rookie tackles. The fact that they held up for a decent portion of this game. Um, <laughs> it, That's it, promising? Rob, you pitched a good... Two games, the first two games, it was, it was Nick Bosa is everywhere. We can't do anything. We can't even throw the ball half an inch. So, like, we're talking about, you know, marginal growth. We're moving forward, moving forward. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about Seattle. What I'm here <laughs> to say is that those weapons also we have to take into account. Only Philadelphia, to me, has that sort of weaponry. Um, Kenneth Walker is a top 10, top 5-ish running back, in my opinion. I know a lot of people aren't ready to anoint him and put him there. But I look at, you know, Seattle. They don't have the most creative run scheme. They really run two or three runs. And it's not like they're just mauling people blocking. He is really explosive, really fast and really powerful. And he creates a lot of um, daylight out of runs that maybe don't have a lot. And then Metcalf and Lockett are top four or five receiver duo in the NFL. They're really, really, really good. And Gino pushes the ball down the field and they can protect. Like to me, that offense is scarier than say Dallas, even though the running back tandem is good in Dallas. Gallup has not really fully recovered and been back. And the receivers besides Gallup, and obviously C.D. Lamb, who's a stud, is it's not That's good. It. And then yeah. Tampa Bay can't protect for shit. They can't protect for shit. And they can't run the ball. So, like, yeah, I'm not scared the of their ball. offense, too. I think it's a horrible matchup against the Niners defense. So if you're looking at Niners defense and saying, well, they didn't play as well as they've played in the past. Yes, they didn't play as well as they played in the past against Seattle. That's what happens. Teams make adjustments when they're playing you for the third time because the first time they realize it doesn't work, the second time they really realize it doesn't work, and the third <laughs> time they're like, well, we're playing with house money, we're in the playoffs, we got to try something else, and they did try something else, and it worked for about a half. And so 
because of that, I think besides Philadelphia, Seattle is really the one team that I would say had the personnel to kind of replicate a little bit of what the Raiders do, but it did, but in general just had the personnel to challenge the Niners defense a little bit because there are a lot of really talented players on that offense. Brisby Life watching on Twitch. What's great now is that the offense is creating so much pressure on opposing offenses to keep up. It forces other teams to play more aggressively to keep pace, creating more turnover opportunities for the defense. Both sides of the ball are complementing each other right now. I totally agree. It's nice to see. It's funny because like, on the one hand, it forces teams to be aggressive where the Niners can get hurt with some downfield throws. But I still think the Niners philosophy overall is you might get us one or two times on some of those throws. But you're not going to be able to do it consistently. Right. And in order to win, you're going to have to. And so I think that they live with it. Kyle said after the game, like, we don't freak out when we give up a big play because we know sometimes that happens, but we know we're going to get it fixed. Flynn watching on YouTube, even if our defense has taken a small step back, our offense has taken five giant steps forward to make up for it. Yeah. And early in the season, the defense was bailing out the offense. Yeah. Now, later in the season, the offense has picked it up a little bit and the defensive performance has dropped off a little. Let's not make it seem like the Niners were getting, you know, lit up by Seattle. It's just they were at a historic level earlier in the year. And they're winning games different differently, too, right? There's a complementary element to it on why the defense has fallen off, too, right? Before, this offense was very much ball control. So we'll get a lead early. Shanahan will get a lead. And we'll just play it tight and win it 24-14 and the defense will keep stopping you. And the offense might stall at some point in the game, but Shanahan will do enough and the defense will keep doing enough to get it over the top. And we'll kind of control the game with our run game and we'll manage the time of possession. Now the offense scores so quickly. Like, for example, there was a point in the game yesterday where Seattle was actually out possessing the Niners in the first half. Yep. And that changed in the second half. But really what they're doing now is that the offense scores so quickly. They're just looking for one kind of run in this game. One moment where our offense goes down the field and goes boom, boom, and scores two touchdowns and our defense shuts you out. Three and out, three and out. There two scores. Right then and there, the game is done. It kind of puts your offense in a drop back situation. And this defense, when they smell, you know, they're a little bit of front runners as defense tends to be. But when they smell blood in the water, they hunt and they close the game. And that's when they're at their best, right? You give them a one-score lead, you give them a two-score lead, and you say you just got to rush the pass or play coverage and close this game out. They're able to do that. So they're winning a little bit differently because the offense is better. The offense is no longer just managing and controlling the game. They're looking for this one or two little run in this short, like, five, six-minute period where they'll just go up two scores, blow you out of the water, and you'll feel like, crap, game's yep. over. We can't do anything. I mean, Seattle looked defeated. The moment Gino turned the football over then um, and they went down the field and he made the off schedule play to Elijah Mitchell, which was sweet. He's got swag on days, by the way, Brock Purdy. <laughs> yeah, um, he does. And um, yeah, once they did that, Seattle, the very next drive, that three and out, they looked defeated. They looked like there was nowhere to go. And then bang, Debo Samuel, he he put the they had the they had their throat on their foot and Debo Samuel pressed and said goodbye. And you were right. The sequence, we saw it right out of the second half, right? 49ers score on the opening drive. Seahawks fumble. That was their chance to respond. Niners get a touchdown. And then what happens, right? So the Niners get a touchdown. It's 31-17. A tough, you know, gap for the Seahawks to overcome. But if right. they score on that possession, it's a one-score game. And, you know, they're still in it with plenty of time to go. But you just saw them come unglued, right? They were getting holding penalties. Right after a holding penalty on first down, they get a false start penalty. Like they just did not mentally, I think they right. were not in the game at that point. They punted four plays, 13 yards. And then what happens? Debo Samuel, 74 yards on the sideline. Don't twist my leg. House call. Right. And then with, with, with the, with the, um, false starts to the crowd was finally getting rude and rowdy at that point in the game. Cause it felt like they were finally like out of tension and just letting loose. Cause the Niners were finally playing the way they, they had expected and Fred Warner, you know, I love Fred Warner, but boy, is he a front runner to celebrating and getting pumping his chest out when things are going good. And I love it, too, because I'm doing the same thing when things are going dude, good. <laughs> I'm a massive front runner as a fan, so I don't mind my team being a front runner a little bit there. And Fred Warner's up there getting the crowd going, taunting them about the fall start, clapping in their face. And the next thing you know, Devo Samuel happens and that's the ball game. So it's always good to see that. Uh, I'm seeing this. Uh, I saw this comment from Chrissy 
1687 on YouTube. D'Amico shouldn't go for four head coaching interviews this week. WTF. I believe he's got an interview with the Broncos on Thursday. He's going to have meetings with the Colts, Texans, and Cardinals prior to the game on Sunday. So that does, you know, look, I'm not saying he shouldn't go on interviews. He's got to do what's best for him. He deserves a head coaching opportunity. This is when the interviews take place from a selfish fan standpoint. Of course, I want every waking second of D'Amico Ryan's free time to be game planning for whoever they're going to play. But look, this is, this is inescapable. Like this is the weird system that the NFL has. You cannot blame D'Amico Ryan's for going on head coaching interviews. He has to. And, and you can be confident he's such a professional. There's no reason to question. Of course, he's going to do his job and handle this on the side to the best he can. And he should. Honestly, this comes first, to be honest, as much as I would like to say that. It's his career. He would like to move forward in his career. That's why he's doing this. Of course, he should be taking it and doing it. And by the way, just something kind of random that just that I remember during the game that I wanted to say in the stream, actually, when I made the point about the runs. Uh, the Barrier would know this well. It, it feels a little Warriors-esque right now when they just turn it on and they kind of just blow you out of the game. It's not just that they blow you out of the game. I remember because I'm not really a Warriors fan. That's why I don't really like this comparison, but I've rooted against the Warriors and felt this feeling so many times. It's not just that run when, you know, Steph Curry starts shimmying and going crazy and doing what he does. It's not just the run. that de- it's It's demoralizing the body language and the way they do it on the run. And that's kind of what the Niners are doing too right now. And that's where the stat that, you know, the teams after they play the Niners never win and never cover like that's that, that's that goes in even more to this because they're demoralizing teams when they go on these runs. And it's really short too. Now it's like the Warriors where it's just a third quarter flurry that just flips the game and blows you out. It's a short two or three possessions, and that's what happened to Seattle. It happened to Washington, who played them well in the first half. Um, Tampa Bay in the first half, the moment Keanu Neal dug his helmet into Brock Purdy, it was over. It happened. So, yeah, it's it's just been like that with this team. It's crazy to watch. They're like the Terminator right now. It's awesome to watch. Uh, Javier watching on YouTube. This is the last comment uh, I think I want to get in before we uh, close up shop for the day. Do you think it's like 2012 when nobody could figure us out? Absolutely not. I do think 2012 was more, hey, we don't know what this Kaepernick guy is, and they were kind of caught off guard. This is not that. This is Kyle Shanahan figuring out everybody else's defense and then pressing until it hurts. That's yeah. the, the biggest difference yeah. between this run by Brock Purdy and the run by Colin Kaepernick. This is Shannon. Go look at the game. Every receiver Brock Purdy throws to is wide ass open because right. Kyle knows how your defense is going to play his offense and he knows exactly how to make you pay for it. And the personnel is so good that by knowing how he can, how your defense is going to play his offense, there's only so many things you can do. Cause you just can't match the personnel. Like you can't even afford to be like overly creative and take a chance. Cause you're so scared of them hitting an explosive to anybody. Like they have five different guys who can house call from, you know, the 20 yard line and go 80 yards. So absolutely, absolutely. Not to mention the other thing with 2012, that defense really fell off and the attrition of the season really caught up with them with Justin Smith's tricep bicep injury and Alden Smith tearing his labrum and all of that this defense doesn't feel like that they they've stayed strong throughout now they have gone through their low period right they had the one game against Kansas City and the one game against the Raiders but it's been a little bit more together and it feels like they've they've gotten stronger every time that we think oh is this their moment where they slow down the two best head coaches in the playoffs are Doug Peterson and Kyle Shanahan. Those two guys, I feel like, elevate themselves when their team gets to the playoffs. You said Doug Peterson managed that game against the Jags perfectly in order to enable yeah. that comeback. Agreed, and other than, other than the weird squib kick at the end of the first half, which I will never understand, Kyle Shanahan elevates his game in the second half. And I want to say one more thing before we go, because okay. I think that 49er fans are spoiled right now. Okay. Appreciate this run that we are on. This does not happen to every team. I'm going to put up a thing that's going to blow your mind. The 49ers have not lost a playoff game before the conference title game since 2002. 
Think about wow. that. We are not just getting to the playoffs. When we get to the playoffs, we are going on incredible runs with a chance to play for the Super Bowl. Appreciate this. This is not normal, especially with a third-round quarterback. I keep saying it. Enjoy the ride. Absolutely, Rob. Absolutely. You know, you got people out here trying to ask questions about, you know, Purdy, should he start next yeah. year? Yeah, you. But tell the people, right? What have we been saying? Don't make any any declarative statements on Brock. We don't have to make him the starter for next year. Just enjoy the ride, right? Well, lo and behold, the Chris Sims podcast puts out a call for questions this morning. And who's responding? Who responded to the question, Vish? That would be me. Yeah. And what me. did Here's you ask? Thing. What Here's did you ask? Tell the people. I, I asked Chris Sims, has Brock Purdy done enough to be the quarterback for the 49ers next year? And in his opinion is what he's doing right now, because the offense is obviously operating at crazy efficiency. I wanted Chris's more professional opinion to let me know whether this is a Brock Purdy thing or it's just Shanahan and these weapons are cooking and we can replace the quarterback maybe with somebody else too and the offensive efficiency remains. I think a lot of people know where my thoughts are are on this but i wanted to ask a professional and here's the thing rob my analyst when you ask me to put on the analyst cap and be objective that's the answer i give you right what he's done so far is great we the sample size still isn't large enough for us to say he is the franchise quarterback he's this he's that declarative statements aren't there to be made what we can see is that he has a potential to be the starting quarterback long term He's shown a lot that he can be the starting quarterback long-term, and he's played better than any of the quarterbacks that have played under Shannon. Those are the statements we can make. Now, my fan hat is thinking about all the things everybody's thinking. of. I'm thinking of him versus Lance, how that's going to work, what happens with Lance, all of this. And that's where, you know, I had to ask Chris Sims, as a fan, I'm as concerned as everybody else, to let me know what his thoughts are on it. Yeah, I mean, he, he that's, yeah, I, Chris Sims, Whatever he says on the topic, he's not going to be right, according to Niners fans, because there will be some section of Niners fans completely unhappy with what he has to say. It's unfortunate. I just asked a question. I just said, you threw a Molotov cocktail in there right before we were going to live stream today. You knew I (laughs) did. You think I wouldn't see it, Vish? Did you think I I would miss it? I did, Rob. Usually you're doing up your 49ers take five to start the week. You got the up and Adam show to start the week. Usually you're a busy guy on Monday mornings. I, I thought that's not a weekly thing, the Kay Adams show, although it's about time she has me back on, considering we're kicking everybody's ass. But Dude, no, that's what I'm you. saying, Rob. I think it's pretty interesting how she had you on there every week when the Niners were losing mm-hmm. and telling you how negative you are, and then Niners start winning. And I'm here, Kay. You know where to find me. That's all I'm saying. I'll say this. Rob Guerrero has gone now four straight Monday shows without saying one negative word about the 49ers. For all the people that say he's negative. Thank you, Vish. Thank you. You're welcome, Rob. I'm here. I'm here for you. I got you. I keep trying to tell people when the Niners play well, I say they play well. And when they play bad, I say they play bad. I was killing Brock Purdy in the first half of the game. Go back and look at the tweets, which, by the way, Twitter's whole for you thing now is ruining it. People are coming at me for tweets that I tweeted in the first quarter a day after (laughs) the game is over. Like, no, dude, I hate that so much. I hate that so much. Like you have a tweet that goes off moderately at the time you tweeted it because most people agree with it because at the time it's, you know, in great reaction to emotionally where everybody is as they're watching the game at the time. Right. They agree with it. That's why they're responding to it. But that response causes it to keep showing up on people's For You pages thanks to Uh, the algorithm like 12 hours later. And it's worse during games because then you'll get the guy coming into your comments and be like, you idiot. And then you'll read it too. And, you know, you're supposed to not really react to it. It's Twitter. It's okay. But instead, you see it and you get that instant moment. Everybody knows it of just the blood boils up and it goes straight down where you get so frustrated when he calls you in. You want to be like, you idiot. I tweeted this on the first quarter. Pay attention to the timestamp. And you want to hit him back with that. But nobody wins with that interaction. I still do. I I still hit him back with the check the timestamp. By the way, Bay Marin. Which shout out to Joey Tuna, who reached out to me and told me that I've been saying it wrong. It's Bay Marin, not Bay Marin. So I apologize. Uh, but they add Marin. that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo triggered me. And yeah, a lot of the time he absolutely did. But 49ers kicking butt. Wrong. That's interesting. 
I, I mean, look, that part of what made me so angry was I felt like it was the same frustration over and over and over again. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have that now, right? We have different. We have Brock. He's been friggin' better than anybody could have expected. No expectations for Brock Purdy. That's another thing Joe Staley said, by the way. He pointed out, you know, Trey Lance had every expectation in the world yeah. that he had to so come in. Garoppolo. Yes, and unlock this offense, right? Because we were so frustrated by Garoppolo. Right. But they traded all these picks to get Trey because they were telling you, right, he's going to unlock the offense. And we never got to see it because he got yeah. hurt. Garoppolo came in, but he had his own baggage because of everything that's going on. And, and But he had the expectation of the contract he signed immediately in the 5-0 and yeah. that stuck with him right away. So he, remember the team, everybody anointed the 49ers that offseason. Kyle Shanahan, Garoppolo, so he yes. had massive expectations too. Now Brock Purdy comes in and we were like, oh God, just please don't let the season be over. He had no expectations. So if he yeah. does have a bad throw, which we've seen him dirt some balls or overthrows or underthrows or have a bad half like he did against the Seahawks. We don't have that same, we don't look at it the same way, right? We forget about a lot of that stuff because he doesn't have all that baggage. And I, we should, we should treat him fairly. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's a different, he had something that Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have, which was he had, he didn't yeah. have the weight of the world on his shoulders. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And when we talk about the long-term discussion, we say, is that your franchise quarterback? That's your starting quarterback. Being able to deal with that, being able to handle all of it and still be the same guy who plays the same way is really important. And that's right now with Brock Purdy, that's just a projection. And honestly, even this year, there's the pressure of the Super Bowl. There's the pressure of the playoffs. But he's still playing with house money because yep. if at any point it just blows up this year, we can all say they made it that far with a seventh-round pick rookie. It's okay. But next year, it's going to be a little bit different, especially if he comes into the offseason as the starter and the equity and expectation he's built from his play this year because that's what stellar play does. It leads us to believe that you're going to continue to do it and next year, when also he's going to be the talk of the offseason after the Niners, in my opinion, likely win the Super Bowl. And everybody's like, how do we stop property in this offense? And everybody's going to be talking about that this offseason. And that's when we'll get to see if he can truly deal with these kinds of things. But you're absolutely right about that point. And there's no need to rush it and say, well, he can or can't do it because we'll get the opportunity to see it in due time. Oh, I can't wait. I wish well, we, we, can, just... we can just tweet at Chris Sims and ask him if he thinks he – can or can't do it. We don't have to give her opinion on that one. Yeah. Weak move, Kumar. And come on, man. <laughs> uh, Scott Brown wants to know, can we acknowledge the Debo ankle twist? We did earlier in the show, Scott. So if you want to go back, I'll time code everything for you on the podcast. So you can go back and check it out. Uh, terrible so, Bush league move by Seattle. Yeah. So I, okay. Can we touch on it real quick? So originally I thought it was like a dirty play. And then I saw it was Jonathan Abram that did it. And he has a little bit of a reputation that comes with him. Um, obviously like a reputation that includes John Gruden telling him to F off in his first training camp in that <laughs> hard knocks. Cause he was whacking people when you weren't supposed to be hitting, which is dirty in practice to be hitting when you're not supposed to be hitting. Um, but anyway, turns out after the game, I saw the interview, like Jonathan Abram and Debo are like apparently best friends. And he was like, yeah, why would I do that? We're like best friends. They traded jerseys after. And he was like, we're such good friends that I went to the NFC championship game last year and sat in the friends and family section. I sat in the family section at the Super Bowl. Like, why would I do that is what he said. And then they traded jerseys. So then that makes me question Jonathan Abrams intent. Cause, or then it makes me think, well, Abrams just a dirty player and he didn't know it was Debo and he just saw red and does what Abram does and realized later it was Debo. I don't exactly know what the story is, that but doesn't it's make all it kinds any of better. now that they're best friends. Yeah, that is weird. Like, okay, I didn't know that they had that kind of relationship, but like, dude, it's a playoff game between the white lines. There are no friends. And I, he did it, you know, like you could say, well, I didn't realize it was Debo. So oh, if it was Ayuk, that makes it okay. Like, no. no, it doesn't. It doesn't. He's a dirty player. But then the fact that they're best friends makes me so confused in all of this. And right. then I was kind of trying to track down like what kind of best friends are these guys? Are they childhood best friends? Did they go to school together? Did they go to college? I have no clue how these two guys even have a relationship. Maybe they share an agency. Maybe they worked out together before the draft. I, I don't even know. I don't know how their relationship works. I couldn't find it really in their background. Of course, there's not extensive information available on the friendship of Debo Samuel and Jonathan Abram. But that entire thing, that entire sequence to this moment still confuses me. Like, how can you be that good friends 
but still do that. Yeah, Brian yeah. Smith says Debo missed no plays after the ankle twist. The vicious assault Niner fans allege never occurred. They don't call y'all 49ers for nothing. Yeah, sorry if I get a little upset when one of the Seattle Seahawks defenders potentially injures Debo Samuel, who's coming back from a leg injury that we thought ended his season. Yeah, sorry. Well, I should we should just say nothing about it apparently. We should just be totally happy. Go take a nap, Brian Smith. Jamal, yeah, Armstrong. No, that's 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 such a stupid thing too, because it was a bush league move regardless. Exactly, Bra- Jamal Armstrong says, "Just here to give Ty McGill, Jordan Willis, and Charles Amenahu some love. Feel like their performances are hugely underrated, but very much needed." Ty McGill has been awesome. I remember yeah. when they signed him to the practice squad. I was like, "Do I even put this in 49ers and five? Like, who the hell is Ty McGill? He's been great. He's Dude, been great. Yeah. Jordan Willis yeah. has been great, and Amenahu has been very, 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 Amenahu very good. was the player of the game yesterday on defense. Yes. He's 25 years old, Vish. This isn't yeah. like they got some 32-year-old guy and resurrected his career. Like, yeah. He could be even better. He could be ascending. He, I mean, he's their inside-outside kind of replacement for Arden Key, who played this role last year. And by the way, he's balling out in Jacksonville, too. Like, Good for him. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the next or Arden Key slash Omenahue gets signed this offseason. And Omenahue is going to make a good portion of money for himself. He's been lights out all year. And then it was another guy who I don't know how, if he had the strongest game, but it was good to see him back because they'll need him in the future was Kevin Givens playing um, yesterday. It was good to see him out there. I, f- I don't know. I, f- I I can't really tell off the top of my head if he's played recently, but I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen Kevin Givens out there. The Niners went into the game with only two guys we thought were going to start at the beginning of the year not available. One was Emmanuel Mosley, and one Trey was Trey Lance. Lance. Everybody else was available. That's insane for to be that healthy at the end of the year after all the injuries this team has had, and that's part of the reason why they look as good too, because they've got their guys back now, which is not yeah. something we have always been able to say with the 49ers, but now they do. I mean, Drake Jackson was inactive for the game. Their top yeah. draft pick was inactive. They want to have more guys up the middle rather than on the edge, and he blew them out. So it just tells you, yeah, as Brisby Life watching on Twitch pointed out the same thing. Drake Jackson can't even get on the damn actor. And he's been good this year, too. Dude, they're That's- so loaded. I mean, dude, Ray Ray McLeod, Ray Ray McLeod has been balling on offense with Debo Samuel injured. And the dude could barely get a snap on offense yesterday because they're so stacked in front of him. Yeah, I'm not shedding any tears that Ray Ray McLeod's not getting the ball more. But I see your point. I see your point. They're still. I'm just saying he's been playing very well, and usually when you're playing that well, you can get on the field. But it's nothing to do with how he's been playing or his talent, or it's just that he's not as gifted as the five players in front of him. And then it's funny that the Niners keep telling the broadcast crews that they think Ray Ray McLeod's going to break a long kick or punt return too. They've that's like multiple weeks they have said that because the announcers always say it during the game, and he has come close. Uh, let's hope it. Hey, maybe it's this week. Who knows? But life is good for the 49ers right now. So enjoy the Monday night football game tonight, everybody. Worry about nothing. I don't care if Tom Brady throws five touchdowns against the Cowboys defense or if Dak Prescott stops throwing interceptions and looks awesome. I'm not you know, wink us over the Cowboys or the Buccaneers. Bring it on. We're not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> Can't end the fight. That we gotta end it right there. That was wow. What a monologue to end it.